1: Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining me for the 126th episode of my podcast, Dan Hill's EQ Spotlight. The series appears here on the New Books Network, which has as its motto, sharing knowledge so people can thrive. Today's topic is the psychology of complicity. I'm joined by Max H. Bazerman. He is the author of Complicit, How We Enable the Unethical and How to Stop. The publisher is Princeton University Press. Max is a Jesse Isidore Strauss Professor of Business Administration at Harvard Business School. Besides being the author of books like Blind Spots and Decision Leadership, Max also describes himself as, quote-unquote, a gritty city kid from Pittsburgh. Welcome to the show, Max.
0: Um, Thank you so much, Dan, for inviting me to join you. Absolutely.
1: So uh, briefly, what's the book about?
0: So complicit is about all of the scandals that... Um, the listeners have read about, have watched mini series about, but my focus is not on the core wrongdoer. Rather, my focus is on the dozens or hundreds of people that always surround the core harmdoer um, that allow the individual or, or a small group of individuals to create the harm that ensues. Basically, I want all of us to think about the role that we play in allowing others to create unfortunate actions that harm so many of us.
1: Okay, and you've actually written three books on on ethics. Um, Is the evolution and the new insights kind of moving to this focus now on the surrounding people? Is that what distinguishes it from the previous two books or other additional insights?
0: Well, uh, thanks for the great question. So I wrote a book called Blind Spots with Anne Tenbrenzel, which focuses on the psychology of why good people engage in bad behavior, often without knowing that they're doing so. And that book is very descriptive, uh, very much um, uh, of a social psychological or cognitive psychological treatment of why so many of us engage in behaviors that we wouldn't engage in with great reflection. Um, The second book, Better Not Perfect, was really uh, um, moving more in a philosophical direction and providing prescriptive advice on how we can all become better from an ethical perspective. And then complicit is certainly in the theme uh, more in line with the book better not perfect uh, but complicit focuses on a very specific way in which we could be better and that is we could be better by avoiding complicity in the future complicit was not even on my radar screen um, as we entered Gen- uh, as we entered 2021 and then the insurrection happened at the u.s capitol and i was prompted to think about all the people who were complicit in allowing a small group of people to build enough power to um, pursue a white supremacist, anti-democratic agenda. Um, And as I thought about this issue of all the complicitors, um, people who stood by and allowed this power base to build, I realized that it applied not just to the um, political events that we had seen develop, culminating in the insurrection, but in fact, it applied to every scandal that we could look at that was dominating the press at the time. So, I, so I put complicit and better not perfect very much in the prescriptive camp, uh, which is very different than the uh, than the descriptive perspective that I, I provided with Anton Brunsell in the book Blind Spots.
1: Okay. Well, I find that evolution interesting because, yeah, it, you know, several times in the book, the Trump administration, for instance, comes up. And in my own work as a uh, an expert studying the emotions, the personality, for instance, of presidential candidates for CNN and Fox and MSNBC, I always try to take a very neutral, objective kind of point of view. But I admit that the phenomenon of Trump caused me to just decide that I had to be, you know, take a little more proactive stances to the the, the challenges that are out there for fear of what it meant for for harm, for society and for our, our body politics. So that, that evolution is definitely of interest to me. Now, in the book, you you mentioned seven different behavioral profiles. Seem to me that's fairly foundational. So we should probably make sure we get around to that quickly in the interview.
0: Sure. So um, the book is- originally had a title called Profiles in Complicity, and eventually was um, shortened to um, to the title Complicit. But the book is built around different reasons why um, people end up being complicit. And I focus on the most extreme versions, which I view as um, the intentional forms of complicity, where some some harm doers have true partners. So um, while Purdue uh, Pharmaceuticals Kind of distributed opioids um, and harmed the public in order to create profit. McKinsey was right by their side, also earning profit by advising um, Purdue on how to mismarket opioids to create greater profit. Um, and then there are people who are collaborators, people who don't necessarily um, agree with the core uh, harm doers, harm, the core harm doers' basic intentions but they work with them to get other things they want in return. So uh, Mitch McConnell and Lindsey Graham may not be white supremacists or be against democracy, but they were willing to put up with Trump's actions in that direction in order to get what they wanted in return as part of the deal. Or if we look at um, Volkswagen's Dieselgate, um, where they polluted the air, um, in a truly fraudulent and harmful manner, um, the unions in the Lower Saxony government allowed Volkswagen to do this because they wanted to maintain um, the economic environment and the job security um, that they valued. So those are uh, two forms of, of ways in which people are complicit, typically where they're aware of what they're doing, true partners and collaborators. But the core of the book is more about the rest of us, those of us who are complicit Um, without necessarily being aware that we're allowing the harm to occur. So in the book, I talk about um, people who benefit from privilege and therefore allow the harm to occur. So I'm struck in academia by the large number of um, faculty members who basically don't notice the unethical aspects of legacy admissions policies in many of our top universities, where many universities give favorable treatment to the children of of alumni, to the children of faculty, to the children of donors. And when we're actually part of the group that's benefiting, we often simply don't notice the harm that's being created. Another way in which we engage in ordinary complicity um, is when we sort of fall victim to being lured in by false prophets. Um, many of, you, of, of your listeners will remember Jim Jones in the People's Temple, um, a cult leader who got his members, um, over 900 of them, to drink the Kool-Aid, even though it wasn't Kool-Aid, it was actually Flavor-Aid, um, and um, he was a false prophet who led um, his cult followers to their deaths. Uh, unfortunately, we have people who set themselves up as false prophets in corporate context. So I think of people like Elizabeth Holmes, um, who demanded, um, the, uh, the reduction of deliberation by employees. Uh, th- there was an expectation of having true faith in the product and in, El- in Elizabeth Holmes herself.
1: We also sure. hear. And, if, and, and if I could jump in there, because when you're mentioning false prophets, I have to think about uh, Sam Bankman fried who's all over the news at the moment, and, uh, you know, kind of drape the whole thing in the concept of effective altruism. I'm sure you've got a take on him. Sure.
0: Um, so um, <laughs> I, I, I have multiple uh, views on, on your on your question, but 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 absolutely, I think Sam Bankman fried falls into this category. What false prophets have in common is that they tell us that the world has changed, the old rules don't apply, and you simply need to put faith in something you don't understand. And I think sure. that when leaders are telling us to um, sort of deliberate less, to think less, and to trust more that's when we need to be suspicious and be careful that we're not being in by a false prophet. But absolutely, I, I, I put sort of um, Sam Bankman-Fried and the Bernie Madoff-Elizabeth Holmes category of setting themselves up as false prophets and claiming that they have some magic that the rest of us can't quite understand. So, um, so in addition to benefiting from privilege and, and, and believing in false prophets, Um, I also talk about the ordinary complicity that results when we defer to to authority and loyalty. And we could um, think about um, sort of some of the sexual assaulters and rapists of our times, like Harvey Weinstein or Jeffrey Epstein, who had people around them who knew what was going on and allowed their terrible behavior to occur. Um, and, And basically a deference to authority was occurring. But we can also think, about situations where people are loyal to the institution. Um, so how did so many people allow the rapes to occur at Penn State, at Michigan State, and under the auspices of the Catholic Church? And I think that the answer is that our loyalty to the institution blinds us to the magnitude of the harm that's being created at ways that are a little bit shocking. Um, my colleague Josh Green wrote a terrific book called Moral Tribes, where he highlights that sort of the more and more we're loyal to some subgroup, the more we may be uh, allowing harm to occur to people who aren't part of that group.
1: Sure. So in terms of the psychology of complicity, so you, you mentioned the book, the role of fear, of course, that we're afraid if we're a whistleblower, we may lose our job our authority or our career. Um, you know, I'm hearing about, you know, deference to authority and submissiveness, uh uh, ex- loyalty that gets exploited in unfortunate ways. I- any place else you want to go in terms of talking about the, the psychology and the particular emotions that might be involved? It sounds like greed would be involved in some instances, certainly.
0: Sure. Um, but, uh, so we can think of lots of reasons why people go along. I'm most interested in situations where people go along and allow bad events to occur um, without even their own awareness. Generally, when people are greedy – they're aware that they're doing something um, for their own self benefit. But so often we have people who aren't greedy, who are perfectly nice people who end up being complicit. And chapter seven of my book um, highlights another um, profile in complicity focusing on trust. And it focuses on my own personal experience um, where um, when I was, when I was about 80, 85% done um, uh, drafting this book, I got an email from this terrific group of social scientists who um, put out uh, this blog um, called dataculada.org that does a good job of, of giving us information on problems in, social, in the social sciences, including ethical problems. And unfortunately, the email I received in summer of 2021 was informing me that um, I was the fifth author of a five author paper published in 2012 that had fraudulent data in it. And as I read this um, very upsetting email, I became very convinced that the data a of people were providing me with very good evidence that in fact I had published a fraudulent paper. Um, Now, I had not committed fraud. I did not know that my data wasn't real. Um, But how did I end up in this situation? And my answer is a kind of another piece of psychology. Um, I I trusted others to do parts of the project and I didn't do enough a good enough job of providing appropriate oversight. So um, I even saw problems with the data and I asked questions but when I got answers that would make me plausibly comfortable I basically went with a comfort rather than digging in harder to learn more. So I think that trust is another psychological basis of why we allow harm to develop and unethical actions to develop. Um, Sort of another thing that we do from a psychological perspective is that we create, we accept unethical systems. Um, So um, for example, in the United States, um, we have something called independent auditing which i've argued for many many years is not very independent at all because companies basically hire the the auditor that's going to look over their books they rehire the auditor the auditors often sell other services like consulting services and auditors yeah it's
1: also- it's a, it's a it's a manifest conflict of interest absolutely
0: exactly and and we have lots of conflicts of interest in society And too often we sort of psychologically accept, but that's the way it's done. And I think that that's another unfortunate aspect. So so the seven profiles in the book are true partners, collaborators, benefiting from privilege, false profit, authority and loyalty, trust in relationships, and accepting unethical systems. So that gives you kind of an overview. But what I find intriguing is that when I ask executives, why a particular scandal occurred, they often give me a simple answer. And the simple answer focuses on the unethical actions of Elizabeth Holmes. And I don't hear much about the incompetent actions of the board of directors, the um, the acceptance of Elizabeth Holmes as a false prophet, Walgreens um, failing to do due diligence before they put um, the Theranos technology into their stores. Um, so our tendency to look for single cause explanations for very complicated events has the byproduct of taking complicitors off of the hook and focusing the blame solely on the core harm doer. And again, I don't mean to take them off the hook. I simply want to highlight that the harm doers of the future are less likely to be able to get away with this, with creating massive harm, if the rest of us. Could, how could avoid complicity in the future?
1: Yeah, no, no. It's a tremendously important book. I'm even thinking about the current scandal involving the EU parliament, for instance, where uh, they're refusing even now to uh, have an ethics panel that would oversee uh, the financial goings-on of members of the parliament. It's its just amazing. Uh, I wanted to go to that off-the-hook thing a bit because, you know, uh, many years ago I read a wonderful book written by a uh, Columbia University professor called The Rich and the Super Rich. It's published way back in 1968. You may or may not know about the book, but it's a powerful book, and it talks about at one point point just catalogs all the times in which companies are unfortunately uh, serial offenders. Um, and in the case of Purdue Pharma, as you mentioned, and opioids, I mean, it's not simply that there's, you know, un- ill-begotten gains. There are, there are masses of people who are dying as a result of these activities. Are we going to, and I, and I know you're a business professor, so this must get very interesting, but, I mean, are we going to really cause white-collar criminals to be behind bars? I mean, a, a mere fine doesn't seem to stop them. I'm not sure what it's going to take.
0: Well, so we we are seeing some of the core harm doers end up being being behind uh, bars. So Bernie Madoff is there. Looks yes, like Elizabeth true. Holmes and Sonny Balwani are are, are headed to jail. But the, but, jail. the, Sackle,
1: but, the Sackle, but the Sacklers are not. For instance, the McKinsey partners, the best I know, are not. Yeah.
0: So um, I certainly would like to hold people more accountable. Um, I, I, I'm not a lawyer and I'm not a judge, so I don't want to sure. tell you the people belong in jail when I can't tell you what criminal offense they've committed. Um, certainly, certainly. So, so my focus is really on writing the organization and writing the behavior and keeping the bad events from occurring rather than punishing um, the behaviors that have already occurred. Um, that doesn't mean I'm against what you're suggesting, Dan. I want to hold people more accountable, um, but, but, but I do defer to people with legal knowledge before recommending that people belong in jail.
1: Oh, no, I, I completely agree with that. I just can't it help, as I read your book, which is a wonderful book, to to be outraged by the, the scope and the degree of harm caused by many of the instances that you raised. That's, um, that's all.
0: I'm, 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 I'm outraged by what I read and hear. And you mentioned Sam Bankman-Fried and FTX. And if um, if the newspapers have the, the account right, um, what happened is truly amazing. And, and once again, we're going to find that Sam Bankman-Fried was not acting alone. But he, there were a set of executives around him. He had um, parents who were professors at Stanford Law School. He had celebrities endorsing um, cryptocurrencies that they didn't remotely understand. We had venture capitalists um, standing by, um, um, sort of bolstering Sam Bankman-Fried and declaring him a new prophet. Um, so we have all the all the ingredients that I described in my book playing out on this FTX story um, on cryptocurrency that we're going to be, uh, that we'll get to see play out over the upcoming months.
1: Sure. So that that attention to changing the culture, I want to make sure we don't run out of time here before we get around to proposed solutions, which is where you go to ultimately in the book, of course. Um, do you want to talk a bit more about that and how these steps to improve the culture of a company or how we vet individuals and understand them and are very certainly our, our own role in this? Uh, what What are those solutions you're proposing?
0: Sure. To start with, we should never accept that's the way it's done. The fact that that's the way it's done <laughs> sure. is not reason why It should exist that way in the future. I think that we can help get people to think about the creation of harm in a more complex way um, so that they understand the psychology of complicity rather than just the core um, harm doer. Um, I think that we need to get people to think about um, the fact that when they allow bad to occur, they may be as culpable as when they are committing an evil action themselves. Um, But there's things that our leaders can do um, in terms of encouraging people to speak up. So one of my consulting clients, a well-known organization that won't let me um, name them in this story, um, has a kind of a one-hour video um, that's shown to employees that consists of four different senior vice presidents all telling stories about the time that they went above their boss's head because their boss was doing the wrong thing and violating the ethics of the the organization. And by creating this video, the organization is saying, um, we value a certain set of ethics and simply deferring to authority is not reason for you to allow bad behavior to occur in the future. So what the top of the organization tells us can be absolutely critical. Um, another kind of pattern that we see in terms of the, the cultural environment is that across lots of different um, stories that break, whether it's Theranos or some of the data fraud stories that we've seen in academia, we see people coming out frequently about the evidence that they know after they find a partner, another peer who has seen similar behavior and is willing to speak out with them. So Tyler Schultz, who got a lot of press for coming out and speaking out against um, Theranos, against the the wishes of his grandfather, George Shultz, does so after um, he connects to Erica Chung up here at Theranos, who's observing the same bad behavior. So often um, when we have the sort of power to know that we're not alone, but but other people see the problem, it empowers us to move forward in more helpful ways.
1: Good, good. Uh, all good stuff. A, a really important book. I urge uh, listeners to check it out. Uh, and I want to thank you, Max, for your time and for being my guest here on Dan Hill's EQ Spotlight. This has been episode 126, The Psychology of Complicity. Uh, my guest, Max H. Bazerman, is the author of Complicit, How We Enable the Unethical and How to Stop. If you've enjoyed today's show, please give it a rating or review on iTunes. Finally, I'd like to conclude every episode with an epigram. In this case, I'm drawing on one from Ralph Waldo Emerson, who said, You have just dined, and however scrupulously the slaughterhouse is concealed, in the graceful distance of miles, there is complicity. Until next time, take care and be well. (laughs)